Right. If you have your Bible, please, can you turn to Matthew chapter 6? We're going to look at verse 25 to verse 34. And I would like to speak to you about anxiety this morning, about learning not to be anxious, learning that actually grace empowers us for the future, that we don't have to be anxious about anything. All right? And um, as I've been thinking about this, you know, the buzzword at the moment is mindfulness. Is that not right? The buzzword is mindfulness. People are aware that there's something wrong in society, that we are so stressed and we are so um, uh, kind of anxious about things in general and things, big things like, you know, what's going to happen with Brexit and things like that. And there's a recognition in our society that anxiety is a problem. And uh, I think um, someone said to me that their little child at school the, uh, the other day is about five being taught to meditate, that a bell rings, and when the bell rings, all the children stop at the, the little local school, they, and they have to sit down and meditate and kind of, you know, deal with their problems. Now, there's, not, there's nothing bad about this te- the, these techniques, but I think the Bible is very helpful in helping us with our mental state. And I hope this morning you're going to be encouraged that you can have faith for the future. You can live in an anxious free way because of what Jesus has done for you. And I hope I can unpack it well this morning. I've had my own experiences that have been um, stressful in my life and have forced me to face up to my own fear, my own anxiety, uh, and uh, concern for my future. As a young man, when I finished university, I chose not to go to take up arms in the townships in South Africa, and I had to appear before a military tribunal to justify my position. And so there were all these guys dressed in their military uniforms with all the pips on their shoulders, and I had to have the, I had to write this kind of this dissertation and justify it before them and say, this is why I, I do not want to take up arms and I do not want to fight for the South African Defense Force. And it was an incredibly stressful time for me. I felt incredibly lonely. There were a whole bunch of people who were saying, you're a traitor, you're a disgusting person, how can you let the country down? And yet I had an absolute conviction in my, in my heart that I couldn't do it. I absolutely couldn't do it, that God didn't want me to do this. And so that was an incredibly lonely time for me. It was an incredibly stressful time for me. But actually, it was one of the key battles in my life that has formed the foundation for the rest of my life to learn to stand up for what I believe and not to give in, right? But it was an anxious time for me. And in the decades that have followed, I've learned this about anxiety. One of the the things I've learned most is that anxiety is a condition of the heart that gives rise and leads to other sinful states of mind. It's a heart condition, anxiety. And when we can learn to deal with the heart condition, then other things start to fall into place. This is what I mean. Think for a moment how many other sinful actions in our lives are a result of anxiety. For example, anxiety about money. What does anxiety about money do? It leads you to be uh, covetous. It leads you to hoard instead of being generous. Um, It leads you to ultimately can lead you to steal and to to, to so desire stuff that other people have got that you you act on that and you end up stealing uh, from, from other people. The root cause is anxiety. Um, sometimes we can 
become anxious about doing a task in a particular way or an assignment, we want to do it well. And, it can, and, 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 and if we give into that anxiety, we, start, we can be moody and anxious and, and not nice around other people because we, our mind is on this task that we need to do and we get anxious and then everyone else is affected. Um, sometimes if we are anxious about relationships, if we feel like we're not good at getting on with other people, you can become a little bit withdrawn, and then it seems to others that you're actually standoffish, all right, that you're not really interested in them. But it's not really the truth. It's just that you're anxious, and you, you feel like you can't connect, and so you withdraw. And the root cause of that problem is anxiety. Uh, what about this one? Sometimes you're you are afraid of, of how people are going to respond to you, and you get anxious in terms of how people are going to respond to you, so you exaggerate or cover over the truth to appear better so that people think that you're more than you are. Yes, the root cause of that is anxiety. And so it seems to me if we could, if we could really deal with anxiety in our lives, there were, would be a whole lot of other things that also would be dealt with at the same time. And here, let me encourage you now with the scripture, Matthew chapter 6, says this, verse 25, uh, Jesus speaking. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. <laughs> do not be anxious about your life says Jesus. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow and how they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall I eat or what shall I drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the pagans, those that don't know Jesus, the Gentiles, says Jesus, they seek after that stuff. But your heavenly Father, no, He knows what you need. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. <laughs> Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for today is its own trouble. Well, it should be clear that the theme of this passage is about anxiety. And it's most clear to me that verse 30 is the key. Verse 30 makes it clear that the root of anxiety is that we have little faith. You see that? It says, you are anxious because you have little faith. O ye of little faith. Verse 30, if you want to go back to it. It says, if you God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? In, uh, in other words, Jesus is saying a very simple thing, that the root of all our anxiety is in a small, inadequate faith in God's future goodness towards us. 
talking about, that's why I want to call it future grace. His, we are saved by grace. His lavish grace comes in our lives and transforms us. We are saved by grace. We are kept by grace right now. Every breath that you take right now is God's grace towards you that you are alive. And I'm talking about the future trust that we have in His goodness. I want to call that future grace. We do feel anxiety because we do not really trust in God's future goodness and grace towards us in our lives. That's the root of the problem. That's always been the root of the problem. And so I put it to you, if unbelief in your heart begins to get, gain the upper hand, one of the effects of unbelief is anxiety. The root cause is that we do not really trust in all of the promises that God has promised to us in Jesus. And we doubt that, and that's why we feel anxious. And so I can think there possibly two responses to that news. Um, let me tell you what I think they are and give a little uh, biblical response to each and then look at more how closely we can learn to win the battle against anxiety. The first response to saying that it's a problem of faith might go like this. This is not good news. It's very disturbing to me to have you say that my battle with anxiety is really a failure to trust God. I think that's a major problem. Well, I would, I would answer you and say, yes, I agree with you. And then I want to say, I want to disagree with you as well, if that's your response, all right? So I would first agree, and then secondly, I would disagree. This is what I mean. Imagine, imagine I want to use an illustration that I, I read the book by John Piper. Imagine you've got stomach problems. You've had this consistent problem in your stomach, and you kind of go to the doctor, and you've taken all the medication, and the problem remains, and you're anxious about it. So you go to the doctor again and say, please do some tests. And the doctor does some tests. He calls you, and he says, I want to tell you, you've got cancer in your small intestine. Now, that's a bad problem, isn't it? It's a major, major blow to find out that you've got cancer. You would say, that's not good news. I would agree with you. Not good news to discover you've got cancer. Yes, the, the, the other half of the equation, though, is the doctor says, fortunately, we can treat it very successfully, and we're absolutely uh, convinced that you're going to be fine. Now, if you heard that part of the story as well, you would say, oh, that's good news. But thank you that you found the problem, and thank you that you can treat it, and thank you that I'm going to be okay. And so, yes, it is bad news to hear that, but at the same time, when you hear that there's treatment available, that God, you can deal with it, and you're going to be okay. That's also incredibly good news. And so I want to put it to you like this. Um, that unbelief is a serious cancer. It is a serious problem that we don't trust God really with our lives. But King Jesus can help us to learn to trust Him. That's the good news. So there's a remedy for us. There's a remedy that can help us in our lives because we have the great physi physician Jesus who is able to work in wonderful ways as we cry out to him. And one of my favorite um, scriptures is Mark 9, 24. Do you remember Mark 9, 24 where the guy says, I believe, help my unbelief. Don't you sometimes feel like that? I believe Jesus. Of course I believe you, but right now I'm struggling. Please help me with my unbelief. And we can learn in Christ. He can learn to do that. And I believe, I want to use this um, word uh, uh, carefully, that there is therapy for us. You know, we, we're encouraged to have therapy these days. Go to a psychologist to have therapy. Well, I want to say to you, the best therapy for you is the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
It's the best therapy for you and me. And I hope this morning that that will become clear. Remember, Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy uh, 6.12, and he says this, Timothy, fight the good fight. Yes? And the fight of faith is called a good fight because it's a necessary fight and a fight that we need to um, wage in our lives. And it is a good fight because it's the fight against unbelief. And unbelief is a cancer that needs to be dealt with. And so that's why Paul encourages Timothy and says, Timothy, uh, you're a young guy, I want you to fight the good fight of faith. And every time that you are responding with faith in your life and fighting with faith against uh, unbelief, you are winning victory in your life that's going to serve you well in the future. And so I want to encourage you this morning that we, all of us would learn to more and more successfully fight the good fight of faith against unbelief. Okay, so that's the first response. Perhaps this, you say this is not good news, but I've tried to say that actually in Christ we can learn to overcome unbelief. Secondly, perhaps the second response to this thing of um, unbe unbelief being rooted in a, a lack of our trust in God's goodness to us, you might say this to me, and I have feelings of anxiety almost every day. Does that mean I'm not saved? Does that mean that I don't know God's grace in my life? Does it mean I, 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 I'm not a person of faith? Well, I, I would say to you, my response to that kind of thing would be a little bit different. Can I put it like this? Imagine you are in a car, all right? And you are committed to a race, like a rally driver. You're going on a, on a race and you have a course marked out for yourself. And uh, you have someone in your life that is, doesn't want you to finish the race. So, so, so every time that they come past, you come past them, they throw tons of mud onto your windscreen. So you can't see. And every time the mud comes, you kind of get anxious and you kind of swerve and you can't see very, very well. It doesn't mean that you're not in the right race. It doesn't mean you're not going to finish the race. It just means that someone's trying to stop you finishing the race. All right? And that's exactly what the devil loves to do. That's what happens when anxiety strikes in our lives. It's like mud is thrown onto the windscreen and we can't see. And for a moment, we, like, we get disorientated and distracted and we, we, can't, we can't find our way forward. That's what it's like. And there's two things that help us in our lives to overcome when the mud is on the windshield. I'll put it like this. One is the promises of God. The promises of God are like windscreen wipers. When you activate the promises of God, they begin to clear the windscreen. Here's the problem. The mud cakes. The mud gets hard on the windshield. What softens the mud? Obviously, I'm going to say it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the water of the Holy Spirit softens the mud so the promises of God can deal with the mud on the windshield. And so I want to say to you that we need both of those things. We need the Word of God, and we need the Spirit of God working actively in our lives, that we engage with the promises of God so that every time we feel the mud splatter and we're losing orientation, the promises of God and the Holy Spirit begin to clear the windscreen. And once again, we can see Jeremiah 29 is true for our lives. I know the promises that I have for you, says the Lord. This should be good news because this is very practical and very helpful. And I want to give some examples in terms of my own life, how I've seen this work in my own life. And so, you see, Psalm 53 puts it like this in verse 6. It says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in the Lord. Do you notice that? It doesn't say, I am never afraid. 
It says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in the Lord. You see, and this is what I love about the Bible. The Bible is an honest book. It never says we never struggle with things. It never pretends that we don't get anxious or fearful. But when fear strikes, it gives us a very clear way of how we should deal with that fear and how we can reorientate ourselves. Another example, 1 Peter 5, verse 6. What does Peter say? He says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time He might exalt you, and cast all your anxieties onto Him because He loves and cares for you. That's Peter's encouragement. Again, Peter doesn't say, you're never going to feel anxious. You know, once you're saved, you're never going to feel anxious. You're going to be healthy and wealthy and wise. <laughs> and you're never going to feel any anxiety when you come to Christ. Never feel any anxieties. No, it doesn't say that at all. Peter says, actually, even as a Christian, you can have moments of anxiety. And when you feel ang- anxious, when you feel fear, cast your fear on Jesus because He cares for you. It's the response that's the most important thing. It's when the windscreen is being kind of mud is splattering all over the windscreen. It's what you do in that moment that is the most important thing as a Christian. And so I put it to you this morning that the best thing that we can do to fight against anxiety is to fight for a genuine belief in God's goodness in your life. That's what fights best on your behalf. We need to be those that are meditating on the promises of God and asking the Holy Spirit to be making those promises absolutely real in our hearts that we know in our knower that they are true for our lives. That's what helps us not to be anxious. And so without the Holy Spirit softening that hardness, God's promises are just going to seem to like scrape over the mud without actually dealing with it. So we need both. And I want to just now focus on seven little things in the Scripture that are very obvious, and they're all there. So if you can go back to verse 25, please, um, that would be great. Seven promises for you in this verse, these verses. Promise number one is this. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is your life not more than food and your body more than clothing? This is an argument Jesus is using an argument that Paul often uses in the Scripture. And I've said to you, when you read the Scripture, you can see this over and over again. It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. What is Jesus saying? God has already done the big thing in your life. What is the big thing? The big thing is that He's given you life, that you have been created, that that He's blessed you with life already. The big thing has been done by God. Now, the small little thing of giving you clothes and food. Is God not more capable of doing the little thing of providing for your daily provision when He's already done the big thing of giving you life in the first place? That's what He's saying. It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. You can be sure that God is going to provide all the little details in your life because He's already given you the big thing. He's given you life. He's given you salvation in Christ. And because He's done all of that for you, you can be absolutely sure He's going to do the little thing of giving you your daily bread. It's good news. Number two, promise number two, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of, of more value than them? What's the point? Jesus is saying, if God is 
able to feed these little creatures, all of these little um, birds and every other little creature who can't do anything for themselves to provide food for themselves other than eat what is already given to them, will He not certainly provide for you because you are worth infinitely more than that part of the creation because you can have relationship with God. That's what He's saying. Just as certainly as God gives provision for all those little creatures, you are worth much more in His sight than they are, and so He will provide for you because He loves you. Thirdly, number three, verse 28. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life? This is not really a promise. It's, it's more kind of a, a simple statement of reality, isn't it? Jesus is saying, it doesn't do you any good. Don't do it. You can't even add one little minute to your life by being anxious, so it's, 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 it's fruitless. Don't even bother. Don't go there, says Jesus. All right? Promise number four. Verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. In other words, compared to the flowers of the field, and we have beautiful flowers where we're staying right now in Napsbury. If you want to have a nice walk, all right, in the poppy fields, come to Napsbury Park, and you walk out towards the M25, and there's just like this riot of color, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful fields full of flowers. And what is Jesus saying? He's using that illustration. He's saying, you are a much higher priority because you are going to live forever. You have got an eternal relationship with, with God. And all the creative energy that God has used to lavish on those flowers and make them as beautiful as they are, he's saying certainly that same creative energy is going to be lavished on your life who are worth eternal value. Do you get it? The flowers are going to wilt in two weeks, but you are of internal value to God, and the same, all of His creative energy that He's lavished to make that so beautiful, that's going to be lavished into your own life, and you are worth of eternal value to Him. It's a beautiful thing. Promise number five, verse 31. Do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? To verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after these things, and you, your heavenly Father, knows that you need them. What is he saying? Jesus is saying, don't be ignorant. Of course, God is not ignorant of your needs. He knows what you need, and he's a good father. He's a good father, and as a good father, he's going to lavish those things on your life. He's not, he's not looking on from a distance. He sees every single thing that you need, and he will supply whatever you need. Promise number six, verse 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So basically what he's saying, Jesus is saying, if you make the priority of your life, your relationship with God, and you're not worried about all the material stuff that the world is encouraging you to be worried about, if your priority is Jesus and your, your priority is your relationship with Him, He's going to give you all that stuff that you need anyway. It's simply an orientation. It's like, okay, I'm not going to go after that. I'm not going to worry about the package. I'm not going to worry about what I have. I'm going to trust him. And as I trust him, he's going to supply all of that anyway. That's his promise to me. That's what he says. Promise number seven, do not be anxious about it. tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. In other words, he's saying, God is not going to allow you to be tested on any given day more than what you can bear. In other words, you can trust him completely with your future. So can I link this back then to our study of Philippians? When we finished Philippians, what did Paul say right towards the end? Do not be anxious, because my God will supply all of your needs. 
Remember that promise? Remember, Paul is trying to help the Philippians who were anxious about their situation. Remember, I gave you those illustrations. They, they, were, they were incredibly used to, they were used to the incredible cruelty of the Romans. They were living under that pressure. Nero was the Caesar who, who was about to throw them to the lions. And I gave you all those kind of illustrations of what they were facing. And Paul is saying, in the midst of that, to these guys that are facing all of that kind of pressure, he's saying, I want you to know that God's grace is sufficient for your life and you don't have to be anxious because God is going to take care of you. Don't you find that incredibly challenging? <laughs> when I'm feeling a little bit anxious about my future and I'm not worried about whether I'm going to be thrown to the lions or not. Yeah? It's incredibly challenging. That's the context that Paul is writing to the Philippians. And what he's really saying is, he's saying in that prayer, do not anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He's saying that God's riches are inexhaustible. And so every single one of us can be absolutely convinced and that the inexhaustible riches that God has for us are not going to run out. It's not going to run out for you. It's not going to run out for me. We don't have to be anxious about the future. So I've said this to you before. I'm in my 50s now, and I'm learning some lessons that I've been learning for a long time. Can I say, just as we finish, how I'm trying to learn these things myself? Because I'm not preaching at you. This is my life. You can see my life. I also get anxious, but I'm learning to trust God. Here are some ways that I'm learning to fight unbelief in my own life. Well, when I feel anxious about the, some of the new ventures that we're about to embark on, like the building project, like taking on new staff, or about um, some important meeting with someone that I need to get right, and I feel anxious about that, I remind myself of this simple promise uh, found in Isaiah 41.10. Do you know what Isaiah 41.10 says? And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to um, trap you. It simply says, fear not. Why? Because I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. Such a simple thing, isn't it? Every time I feel anxiety coming on about something that is really important, I say to myself, Ant, do not be anxious. God is with you. Fear not. He will uphold you with His righteous right hand. When I feel anxious about my ministry, that what we're doing here is ineffective, perhaps not being as effective as it could be. I fight unbelief and the sense of fear of failure with this, Isaiah 55, verse 10. Do you know the scripture? It says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, they do not return, but they water the earth, and they make it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my words that go out from my mouth, they will not return to me empty, but they will accomplish all of what I purpose for them, and they shall succeed in the thing for which I sent them out. That's what I remind myself of. Whenever I feel anxious that I'm not being effective, I remind myself that every word that is sown in the name of Jesus brings fruit, and that's His promise to me. And then the anxiety begins to subside. When I'm feeling anxious that I can't do my work, or that I'm not clever enough, or that I don't have enough strength to do what God has called me to do, I remind myself 2 Corinthians 12, 9. You know that verse? My grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. It's true for me. It's true for you. 
That's what I'm saying. Let's familiarize ourselves with the promises of God for our own life. When I'm feeling about anxious about the future, making the right decisions, I battle anxiety and unbelief with um, this promise from Psalm 32. I will trust you, I will, I will instruct you, and teach you in the way that you should go, and I will counsel you, and my eye will be upon you. What an amazing promise from God for all of us. When you're feeling anxious, God, I need you to be my counselor right now. <laughs> I need your eye to be upon me. I need, to, need you to show me the way right now. I'm asking for that. That should be incredible comfort to all of us. When I'm feeling, how many feel anxious about health? Yeah? When I feel anxious about health or welfare of my family or those that I love uh, in terms of the future, I remind myself of this, that if I know as an evil earthly father, if I know how to give good gifts to my children, surely my heavenly father, who's perfect in every way, is going to give good gifts to everyone who asks him. That's what the scripture says. Matthew 7, 11. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I find in my life, in my inner, in my inner place, sometimes the equilibrium gets out and I feel, I feel restless on the inside. Ever felt like that? There's something bugging you, not quite know what it is. It's just like your inner peace is like, ugh, it's not there anymore. I, I comfort myself with this, that the promise of God in Mark 10 is this. For everyone who's left brothers, sisters, mother, father, or their land, the word is farm, the farm, the land that is yours. Anyone who's left that for the sake of Jesus, he has the promise, will receive a hundred times now in this life, houses, fathers, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, land. And there's the part that I don't enjoy. There's a comma in my Bible, and then it says, with persecution, comma. <laughs> That would be such a cool promise, wouldn't it, without the with persecutions part. But it's there. Jesus says, I'm going to provide abundantly for you in all of those areas in your life. And yes, there will be some trouble. There will be some persecution. But I'm going to provide for you a hundred times if you do this for me. Man, that's incredible. And when I'm anxious about getting sick, Psalm 34 verse 19, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord will deliver us from them all. For Andrew, right now, the Lord will de deliver him. For any of you trusting for healing, the Lord will de de deliver you. Anyone feel anxious about getting old? What am I going to do? Jesus, when I'm in a wheelchair and I can't walk, anyone feel anxious about getting old? Or am I the only one? Because all of us do, don't we? We do feel anxious. We're not going to be able to be so independent, etc., etc. He has an amazing promise for you as it's for me. Romans 14. Do you know it? Verse 7 says this. None of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For this the end of Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the living and of the dead. I'm Jesus's, whatever happens with this earthly body. And so, 
Sometimes I'm finishing now, but sometimes I feel anxious that through some foolish decision, I'm going to wreck my life and, and uh, wreck my ministry. When I feel anxious about that, there's this amazing promise in Philippians that we've looked at not so long, long ago. Philippians 1 verse 6 says what? You should be able to remember it. I'm sure of this is Paul, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus. How cool is that? All these promises for you and for me. And so what I'm saying this morning, that I'm learning in my life, at my age, still to overcome anxiety when it threatens to overcome my own heart. And so I'm saying the war is not against other people. Isn't so often we take out the war on other people when really it's an inward thing that we're actually anxious about something on ourselves? I find this in my family. Sometimes when I'm anxious, who gets the brunt of it? Helen. Yeah, and when she's anxious, who gets the brunt of it? Me, and our children get it all the time. <laughs> I'm not saying that because it's, it's not particularly cool. It's not particularly good. But I am saying what I'm saying. The, the battle is not against other people. The battle is an inward thing that has to be won on the insides. That's what I've been trying to say to you this morning. So let's not make war on each other. Let's make war on the real problem, which is unbelief, which leads to so many other problems in our life. And so let's all, can we all commit ourselves in the next while to learn to turn the windscreen wipers on when we need to, all right? The promises, to learn to ask for the Holy Spirit, the water when we need to, so that the mud doesn't get caked and we can't begin to see. And that the promises of God are very great for you and for me, they're for all of us. And so we can learn to take up the Word of God and to ask for power by the Holy Spirit to fight the good fight and to live, consciously live on God's future goodness and grace in our lives, day by day, moment by moment. Amen. God bless you. God keep you. I really trust that this week you will fight the good fight. And when you feel that anxiety rising in your heart, that you'll make a conscious effort to lay hold of the promises of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you will become more mindful of others as you become more mindful of Him in your life. Amen. Let's pray.